This episode of Nomade Athlete Radio is brought to you by Four Sigmatic, a natural superfood company that specializes in mushroom-based drinks like coffee and elixirs that benefit your immunity, energy, and longevity. To learn more, visit foursigmatic.com slash no meat and use discount code no meat at checkout for 15% off your order. That's foursigmatic.com, F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com slash no meat and use code no meat to save 15%. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Me Athlete Radio. Doug, it's been a while since we uh, have checked in on your latest ultra-running mission, which I believe is, involves uh, pushing a baby stroller around <laughs> North Carolina or something, some sort of self-supported <laughs> thing. No, it doesn't involve a baby stroller at all. <laughs> I, want, I want something to involve a baby stroller, please. I know you do. Like I a mean, classic old big one. One of those big ones where the baby <laughs> sleeps and it's on wheels and they're like horizontal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, if I was going to... So we're talking about running across America today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, all right. So first of all, my my my... Plans for my big North Carolina run have nothing to do with baby strollers. In fact, it would be a, quite a hindrance to have a baby stroller doing what I'm hoping to do. Okay. But but, but will you, won't you be hindering a support crew by doing what you're going to do? But there would be no support crew? There would be a... Well, if there would be a support crew. Yes, there would be a support crew. So they'd crew. be hindered. So this would be a way of you shouldering that burden mm, yourself. That's right. But okay. You don't want to do that. You want to have a crew. Yeah, well, I mean, it just, you know, I can't, I can't imagine uh, taking a stroller up some of these But that's mountains. how you set ultra-running records, Doug. That's how you go down in history. If you get a baby <laughs> stroller and you use it for something. Well, you know, all right, so so we have a great interview today with somebody who just ran across America. And, um, you know, I've, I've been thinking, after the after we did the interview, I've been thinking a lot about, like, whether I would want to do that. And, um, you know, most of me probably says no. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, but, you know, a little piece of me does. And, and I was... Uh, I followed along Ricky Gates. I don't know if you know that guy. Um, no, good name for a runner, though. Yeah, it's, it's a good runner. Um, and he, he recently ran across the U.S. Uh, fully unsupported. And for um, for a lot of that, he was pushing a stroller. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I mean, like, if I was going to do it, I feel like that's the way I would I would want to do it. So, uh, there's somebody should design a, a better thing than a baby stroller for these ultra runners who want to push something while they run, right? I'm sure that somebody has, like, so. has has designed their own self thing. Right, but you don't think there's a? I guess there's, you probably sell about twelve a year if you had a company that made these things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, there's the. Uh, have you seen the baby strollers that you like pull that they like hook on your waist and? No. And no. you like pull them behind you so that you you know so your form or so your arms aren't hindered. Yeah. Meant for ultra runners or meant for parents? Meant for, yeah, just runners pulling babies. Oh, okay. Oh, for pulling babies. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, not seen that. But that you know that could be a good thing for somebody running across the U.S. Yeah, be no one It would be hate your kid. No, you wouldn't have a kid in it. You'd have no she's in it. That's one way to go down the history books is to pull your kid across. Tug a kid across. Oh my gosh, that'd be awful. That'd be awful for the kid. That'd be awful for the parent. That'd be that'd be terrible. I like it. Now the wheels are turning. <laughs> so what about you? Are you gonna are you gonna after this interview are you gonna run across the US? No, I am not gonna do that. But 
I I did think about this. Not not like I was in any shape to do it, but I thought there was a day when I thought this would be cool. And I read uh, Marshall Allrich's book, whatever mm-hmm. that was called, uh, and enjoyed it. I really liked that a lot. It kind of made me not want to do it. I mean, it just seemed miserable. But uh, and then I think I think I actually stopped wanting to do it when I we talked to Scott Jurek at some point. It wasn't on Nomad Athlete Radio, but it was just like a, an audio interview for the for the blog back in the day. And mm-hmm. I asked him about it because I thought it was interesting. And he said something like, I, I've heard if you do that, you will definitely never want to do it again. Like, it's one of those things where you do it and it's like, well, that was actually worse than I thought it was going to be. And, <laughs> I don't know. Whereas 100 miles is kind of like, you know, it's fun. And if it yeah. goes well, it goes well. And you might want to do another. He just, he just said, you don't want to do this more than once. But he hadn't done it either. He just heard that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I did. I thought, actually, in the early days of Nomad Athlete, I thought that would be really cool because I was just getting into ultra running. I thought that'd be really cool if, like, I could do this and like that would just be sort of my thing is i would do this like robbie did like our guest today uh do it as a vegan kind of you know publicize it and it'd be really good it'd be great for the it'd be good for the brand nomad athlete too not not that it wouldn't have been a somewhat selfish thing but uh you know i thought it'd be cool and i and i tried to imagine myself doing it and i thought you know you could, you could probably get to the point where you're kind of comfortable doing 50 mile runs mm-hmm. and the question is could you then do 75 of them in a row which well, I don't know. But. That's what we that's what we talked to Robbie about, and um, I don't know. It was a great interview, and honestly, like it, it did kind of you know it didn't really make me want to run across the U.S., but it did kind of make me want to do something really epic like that because uh-huh. it is pretty darn epic. Yeah, I mean, his training for it, he got up to 100, 110 miles per week, which is solid for sure, but like. It's kind of like the same thing. When people hear 100 miler, they think, oh my gosh, you must be superhuman. You must just run all day, every day to train for that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. you really don't. Like, this is kind of like that to me, right? It's across the entire country. And the training is twice the mileage that I did for my 100 miler, right? So, look, it's a lot and you need to do it and really get in good shape. But it doesn't sound like you, like, need to achieve this new, extraordinary, superhuman level of fitness in order right. to attempt this sort of thing and maybe succeed at it. So I don't know. I, I like that it is this sort of like one of those crazy, crazy goals that once you actually think about it, maybe it's not as impossible as it seems. So that's kind of cool. And Until you realize that it takes two and a half months. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I but, mean, it, it's pretty wild. It's it's pretty wild. And uh, and more, you know, he said, uh, well, I don't want to spoil all the interview, but, uh, you know, there's there's not that many people who have done it compared to, you know, a lot of other things. And, um, and that's, I don't know, it's it's cool to... Yeah. somebody who has definitely so no uh no big idea for you yet other than your north carolina trek i I'm, yeah my north, big north carolina trek is kind of my is is the big idea at this moment at this time okay and Good. it's it's about as big as it uh as i think i'll get anytime soon okay good but it's still uh it's still under wraps i still a okay secret won't, won't say anything about it <laughs> <laughs> But yeah. I am going to reveal something else that I, I'm hoping to do uh, okay. later in, in next week's, ep- next week's oh, yeah. episode. Yeah. Okay. Good. All right. Well, then uh, let's see, Doug. We're going to we've Let's get to this interview in a second, but Fourth of July is coming out. We must mention that, right? Yes. Speaking oh. of America. That's right. Yeah, there we go. Good tie-in. <laughs> <laughs> I had that planned out, but you kind of jumped me. You kind of jumped, <laughs> okay. jumped the gun there. Okay. <laughs> ah, happy uh, Fourth. Yeah. That's right. Happy Fourth. It's, it's not coming up. It's it's today. It's today the day of the release episode. episode. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And good timing for the uh, for the women's World Cup. If the if the women yes. can get a win there, that would be cool in the final. Super cool. And I just heard, just heard, because Dr. Garth Davis shared it, that Alex Morgan, who's kind of the the 
poster girl for the mm-hmm. national team. Just she's just kind of the I don't know, been the popular athlete for the past ten years. Um, she's vegan. No, really? Yeah. And she That's went vegan cool. because she had a dog and didn't feel right eating animals when she loved this dog so much, which is just what my just what I did. It's just that I'm not a World Cup champion. Well, that's <laughs> yeah. otherwise we're the same. Pretty much the same. <laughs> yeah. um, well, that's cool. It is cool. It's it's just perfect. I've, we've my family, as I've said many times, has been super into the whole soccer everything this this year and past two mm-hmm. years, and uh, have really enjoyed watching this Women's World Cup. And that just hearing that was like, man, I can't wait to tell my kids that. I mean, my daughter get, has a we, poster of her on the wall. Oh, really? That's and now cool. she's going to know she's vegan. Yeah. We should uh, have her on the podcast. I was thinking about that. If we want that, we should be rooting against them to win on Sunday. Because <laughs> because everyone's going to want to talk to her. <laughs> I mean, they already do. Yeah. Anyway. Maybe there's yeah. other people on the team who are, too. Who knows? I would not be surprised. And shes I don't know if she's the best player on the team. She's just kind of been the, the popular one. But right. I think there are people who you could argue are better. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So um, that's good. Anything? Any other big plans? I'm gonna. I don't know what I'm gonna do. My my cousin is coming into town, which would be nice. I haven't seen him in a long time, and uh, we'll probably just watch some fireworks and do the Asheville experience. Cool. Yeah. What about you? Bre- breweries and fireworks and. Yeah, that sort of thing. Asheville City soccer game probably. Nice. Yeah. How about you? Cool. Any any big ideas? I'm kicking the day off as I have done the past several Fourth of Julys with a. Um, with Beyond the Burger? with the Fourth of July 5K, which oh. is my my one of my favorite races of the year because uh, it's it's here in town and there's no registration, there are no bibs. You just show up, oh, and uh, it is it's like a it's like a sanctioned you know town run fat ass style run, <laughs> nice. <laughs> which which is which is really fun. You just do it and then you finish. There's a finish clock and they give you some water and a banana and. Uh, hmm. Then everybody goes sits goes and sits in the creek. So no no timing chip, just a tape. Whoever breaks the tape first wins. Yeah, and no like official results because no one knows who you are, right? Because there's no no bibs. Mm. Yeah, but it's fun. It's really fun and uh, good way to kick off the fourth. Do a little exercise before. Yeah. A bunch of Beyond Burgers and and beers, which we are, which actually we did get. I went to the grocery store yesterday and got got some burgers and some Beyond brats. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the an occasion when having those things in the world is wonderful, right? We've we've said totally. our piece yeah. about vegan meats and where they fit in, and I think this is where they fit in. Holiday, I want some of that that feeling? What what holidays felt like before you were vegan, and you know, like that. Yeah, we're actually we're actually hosting we're actually having a party or party for our family for cousins and uncle aunts and uncles who are in town. There's gonna be like sixteen people for nice. grilling out at our our house uh, tomorrow, and um. And there are going to be a lot of Beyond Burgers and probably a lot of people who have never had a Beyond Burger. Yeah. You're going to try to trick them? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. And but, then finally uh, make a vegan pitch at the end, have everybody sit down on the couch and like say, okay, here's why I've brought you all here. <laughs> Tricked you. It's vegan. <laughs> I think you no, should do that. not going to do that. <laughs> no, all but right. I'm excited for some people to try it. Definitely. That'll be good. Cool. All right. Well... Then uh, I suppose the thing to do now is thank our sponsor before we get to our big interview. Yeah, I think we should do that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, ready? This episode of Nomad Athlete Radio is brought to you by Four Sigmatic, a natural superfood company that specializes in mushroom-based drinks like coffee and elixirs 
that benefit our immunity, energy, and longevity to help us live happier, more enhanced lives. Four Sigmatic was founded by a group of Finnish fun guys. Fun guys. <laughs> aiming to privatize. <laughs> Shouldn't it be Finnish fun guy? No, but it's a couple of Finnish fun guys. Yeah. Okay, but but it's fungi is the, the plural of fungus. So fungi is the plural of fungi, uh, and that's kind of weird. But okay, <laughs> aiming to popularize functional <laughs> mushrooms and adaptogens by incorporating them in mainstream products like coffee, tea, and cacao. You just copy edited our uh, our ad here. <laughs> For example, there's one of our favorites, the mushroom coffee with lion's mane, made with a blend of 100% organic arabica coffee and lion's mane mushrooms. Why lion's mane? Because it's vegan, not really from lions, and it promotes productivity, focus, and creativity, and balances out the stimulation from the coffee, which is good because nobody likes the nobody likes the jitteriness. No, nobody likes the jitters. And you know, I've uh, recently I've gotten back into the habit of having a second cup like later in the day, mm-hmm. and I've been doing this, and it really it's not giving me the jitters, which it used to, which regular coffee used to used to give me the jitters, or you know, does give me the jitters if I drink it in the afternoon. But not in the morning yeah. for some reason. Yeah. But you know what? You know what I've been trying uh, in addition to the coffee is this mushroom cacao mix. Have you tried uh-huh. that yet? No, I've it tastes not. Like, it tastes like uh, like delicious hot chocolate. It's awesome. Yeah. And you told me that was a delicious one. And I pulled it out for my kids to try. I have not tried it yet. I've been leafing through their book. They, they sent us a book along with their stuff. I didn't realize they, I mean, when we started talking to them, I did not realize they had written a book. Um, but it's cool. I actually found it quite interesting to learn about all these different mushrooms and the properties that they have. Healing properties. So you got to check it out. To learn more, visit foursigmatic.com slash no meat to use code discount and use discount code no meat at checkout for 15% off your order. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com slash no meat. Use code no meat to save 15%. All right, everybody. Welcome to this interview with Robbie. Robbie, thanks so much for, for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. And uh, you just you just let us know that we actually are. I don't know what is that. Uh, what's that phrase where you're like connected by like couple of people? Of separation. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. You're uh, <laughs> one of one of my best friends is uh, apparently one of your wife's good friends, or his his wife is is one of your wife's good friends. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, congratulations. You uh, are I guess a few weeks out from uh, having just run across America. Yeah, just a little over a month, actually. Um, yeah, I finished up a 75-day, 3,175-mile run across the United States. <laughs> <laughs> not too many people can say that. I don't think. <laughs> yeah, not many. I think I'm around, actually, the 330th person since the first person did it in 1909. Wow. Uh, so comparing that, you think Mount Everest. Mount Everest was climbed the first time in 1957. And they think there's been around 4,000 people um, and 8,000 summits. So a couple, you know, Sherpa's going up multiple times. But yeah, so there's a, there's a real rarity to the feat. Yeah. Are you, I mean, does that mean you're the first vegan to do it? I feel like I've asked other guests this question before, so I'm guessing not. Because didn't we have like I, a vegan father and son on Doug once who were going to do this, but maybe they failed? I don't know. We had him on, then we forgot about him. <laughs> from, from, my, from my best, um, the, the thing with it is there's no governing body that keeps a master list. Right. So you kind of, it's all approximations and kind of sifting through data and finding just things from here and there. Um, and it seems to be, a, I believe I'm the third plant-based athlete to do it. Okay. Uh, from so the other my two, best, anybody we would know? Um, one being Patrick Sweeney. He was the, actually the, uh, in, what, who influenced me to do it. Um, he is, uh, out of Manhattan beach, um, out of, in LA. 
Uh, he's he's big on the running scene, also a uh, pretty pretty big plant based advocate as well. Very cool, very cool. So you know, I, I we have a ton of questions about the logistics behind all this and mindset and all that stuff, and, and of course what you were eating. But um, you know, before we get into all that, why don't you just tell us a little bit about you know what made you decide to want across want to run across the United <laughs> States and, and um, yeah, and just like how you got into this to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I guess starting with just how I got into running. I started running about six years ago. Uh, I was running some restaurant running. I was, yeah, I was managing and overseeing operations for some pizzerias in Austin, Texas, not plant-based, uh, very much, uh, you know, a, a big fan of mozzarella at the time. Uh, but um, I uh, was, was taking over a lot of responsibilities and coming out of being in the restaurant industry for so long, living a lifestyle of work hard, party even harder. And as, as the the responsibilities of the restaurant started to mount, I, I realized it just wasn't working. And I was trying to find an outlet for, for the stress and ways to keep myself accountable. And my fiance, Shelly, invited me out on a two and a half mile run. And I made, or I made it two and a half miles, at which point I had to get a cab home. And that was what started <laughs> my running. And from there, I just kept uh, upping the mileage as the stressors from my job kind of increased, started doing ultras. Um, and then in September of 2017, I left the company uh, and we moved from Austin to Denver for my fiance to pursue a uh, degree in nursing. And at that point, we changed our diet. We were really, for the first time, I, I had control over my diet. I wasn't working in a restaurant where I was eating the meals predominantly from the restaurant. And right away, we, we switched to a vegetarian diet. And at that time, I was trying to search for what I wanted to do next with my life and really was really drawn towards environmentalism. And at the time, was considering either getting into solar or possibly even wildland firefighting as something just to kind of mitigate the damages that were being caused by global warming. And um, through all that, I, I was running still and finding that the more animal products I left out of out of my, my diet, the better my performance was. I was not as sore. I was able to jump back into runs faster, mm -hmm. less phlegm, all of these things. And so all these things were kind of jumbling through my mind. I started doing research and I was like, wow, I mean, a full plant-based diet, that's like one of the best things I can do as an individual to help with this, this environmental crisis we see. So all these things are kind of running through my head. And I take a trip down to Mexico, uh, northern Mexico in the, cop the Copper Canyon. It's in Chihuahua. And there's a race down there that's held every year. It was made famous by uh, the book Born to Run. It's called sure. the Caballo Blanco 50. And while down there, I, I met a guy, Patrick Sweeney, that I mentioned just a moment ago, and he had ran across the country in 2015. We, we really didn't talk long. It was a quick conversation, but it, it, it planted this seed. And when I got back to the States, I went on my first run coming back and was putting all these ideas together. And it quickly came to me is that one way I could really combine my passions was I'd been in food forever. I'd just found this new diet and understanding its importance in environmentalism. I was like, okay, well, what could I do that would just really show this off and let me advocate for it? And quickly, just in the back of my mind, was what Patrick Sweeney had told me about running across the country. I was like, well, that's about as big as it gets. So from there started the the process of making it happen. Um, that I, I made that decision to do that on March 15th of 2018, and I started my run on March 16th, 2019. So essentially, right out a year to plan train and execute so that that was kind of how it all came together so you mentioned like wanting to do it as as a way to kind of call attention to the you know the plant-based lifestyle and the fact that this can work for sports and uh that's still as much as it's grown that's still something that's not you know not really a mainstream idea quite yet 
Um, which is awesome. And I think that's, you know, commendable for sure. Surely there must have been some sort of like personal thing to doing this, right? I mean, I don't know, like I've never felt so strongly about a cause that just that alone is enough for me to go run across the country. Um, (laughs) Is like, I don't know, did you have this personal thing? Like, wow, that would be amazing. Or wow, that's really scary. Or that seems impossible. Like, was there something that was a big personal motivator for you too as well here? Oh, absolutely. I just, as I was advancing in my like running, I don't, I don't want to say career cause I was definitely, you know, a novice. Um, but, but hoping to, hoping to really like bring my life centered around running and, and pat and more passion driven lifestyle. Um, I, I love running. I love it more than, more than anything, really. It provides so much for me, clarity, uh, accountability, all of these things. And, um, it was, yeah, it's a massive, massive challenge. And there was something just in that, in that challenge that I wanted to test myself and test myself to the limit and see where my limits were. And I feel like through something like this, anything massive with such magnitude and something that requires so much pain, so much, um, just over like overwhelming amounts of fatigue, uh, through that comes a lot of personal growth. So for me, it was, it was a, it was a life journey. It was something that just to be able to always say I did, uh, uh definitely want to always, push my limits and this was putting it to the test yeah i mean i can't even i can't even imagine just like having that you know just in your back pocket oh yeah i ran across i ran across america (laughs) once (laughs) that's the thing right i've said that out on the road to friends and stuff is and when the really hard times one thing i would say is you know this is something when i'm done no one can ever take from me like i no matter what happens from here on in my life i will always be able to say i ran across the country and that, that to me is just uh, it was a pursuit worth. It was something worth pursuing, and yeah, just just to test myself. I think was a lot of where it came from, more personally. Totally. All right. So you know, you said it took you took you about a year from deciding you were going to do it to actually uh, starting. Um, so I'd love to hear like what. How do you even begin to plan for something like this? Um, you know, like how did you pick the route, and or was there a route, or were you just kind of going east? And um, and then like you know, I mean, uh, yeah, I just can't even imagine thinking about all the all the logistics and crew and all that kind of stuff. Like, how did you begin planning this? Because I'm sure there's no there's no guidebook for it. No, there there is no guidebook. There are there have been two books that have have talked about it quite thoroughly, but they definitely don't tell you how to make it happen. Um, so for me, it really started with just building a some type of a proposal, some type of framework to say what I wanted to do, why I wanted to do it, and how I was going to accomplish it. And from there, it was to find a partner or partners to help me along the way financially and also just to you know have have a backbone to it, an organization or a company for which would help me support it and help me promote it. So I started that process. I built out a plan. I went, I actually drove from Denver down to Austin and uh, my in-laws to be Shelly's parents sat down with them for over the course of like four days. And it was just all hands on deck, sitting there, sifting through ideas, putting together a framework of a document that I could share with uh, organizations and brands that I hope to bring on as partners. So we did that. Um, I, I reached out to some some organizations. Some were more receptive to, than others and kind of went through that for a while, getting some doors shut in my face, some people saying they were interested and then not being able to follow through. And through that, it's one of those blessings that came that you realize later was what it allowed me to do in all these times of kind of getting doors shut in my face is I was refining my my message. I was refining my goals and how I wanted to accomplish this. And from what I 
set out on day one talking to people about to what I said to uh, the CEO of Natamu, my uh, sponsor who ended up helping me along the way, was much different. It was much more refined. It was much cleaner. And so that was kind of the process was just pitching it, pitching it. And all along that time, I was training and just keeping my mindset right and, and dealing with the, the letdowns and the uh, door shut in my face by continuing to run. And through that, just persevering. And finally, I got on the phone with uh, um, a friend of a friend, Daniel uh, Nicholson, the CEO of Nadamu, and we started to chat. It was an early morning call. And it was interesting. An hour and a half later, we were just bouncing back and forth off of each other. And it was it was very uh, I was very aware at that time that this was the right synergy. This was the right person to do it with. So that was kind of how we started to build it. And from there, I started working with his marketing team and we came up with how this could be mutually beneficial to him as a to them as a brand and for me as an athlete and also for this advocacy that we wanted to advocacy stand we wanted to make. And through that, we defined it through what we called the plant powered mission. And that was how that was the framework for which I worked as I went across the country. And the idea being as I made my way across the country, we would talk with people that we met along the way. Uh, obviously, one of the first questions people ask when they find out somebody's doing this is why. And then that opened up the doors to be like, well, he's a plant based athlete. He's wanting to show what's possible in a plant based diet and also talk to others about making better food choices. And so that was kind of how it all came together and how we, we began to execute. So if I were going to do this and I were uh, doing it to call attention to my diet and lifestyle, I'd want to do like the first like three or four weeks kind of quietly, make sure it was working and I wasn't going to quit <laughs> before, before I kind of went public with it all. But I'm guessing with sponsors like you, that wasn't really an option, right? Like you probably had to do a bunch of hype and all that beforehand, right? And, and kind of start the PR campaign. Like, I mean, assuming that's the case, were you worried about that? Like, just having to quit? Because just, I mean, aside from the idea that you, like, you know, personally failed, that's one thing. But then to feel like you failed the movement by trying this and, and like, calling attention to the fact that it didn't work, that would be awful. Totally. That There was definitely a little bit of, you know, that fear was always there. But I also, um, I have enough confidence in myself to understand that if I set out to do this, I made my mind up, I was going to do it. And the only thing that was going to hold me back was if my body failed. And at which point, I mean, it was a gamble. It was a gamble I was willing to take. I, uh, I, I really did go into it with the utmost confidence in myself as an individual to persevere. But that definitely, I remember the day in particular where that that probably hit me the hardest. And it was when we announced publicly through our social media that I was going to do this. And I had partnered with Natamu and Natamu sent it out to their following, which was, it was much larger than mine. And it definitely, there was a moment where it was like, Oh wow, I am in this. <laughs> like there is no getting out now. Um, but it also through that, it holds you accountable, right? Yeah. Like the minute I told yeah. friends and family, I was going to do it. It was on. Like, I, I don't, I don't like to be one to, when I do finally, I talk about it. I dream a lot. I think about a lot of things. I think out loud about it. But once I say I'm going to do this, I, I really try my best to follow through. Yeah, definitely. I, I, as I was, you know, asking and then listening to your answer, I can imagine that feeling of like, you know, you, you get really scared and then you just make this decision that says, no matter what, I'm going to do it. Uh, I'm just going to find a way. But, you know, just I, it seems like you said, like your body could just fail and like you, I don't know, you might have to back out. But uh, I'm glad you didn't. It sounds like you obviously had a lot of, uh, you know, foresight went into this and a lot of care taken. I saw in the Runners World article, they said you hadn't drank water alone or like three cups of it in, in months because you said you just wasn't a point where you could afford not to be taking in calories. Uh, so obviously you, you, you know, really took a lot of care to avoid injury. Um, 
which is which is awesome. So I just have to hear a little bit. Of, I mean, I know you had a crew with you. You mentioned that you had. Well, you mentioned partners. Um, you had you had the crew with you the whole time. Um, I mean, I don't know how. Like, how did? Can, can you tell us how that all worked? Like, was there a typical rhythm that you kind of fell into? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, crew wise, I was always fluctuating between three and five. Maybe at one time there were six people out there. Uh, I had one consistent crew member. His name was Elliot. Uh, it's kind of a wild story. I met him two weeks before we started the run down in Mexico. I revisited the race where I kind of had this inspiration for the run a year later, two weeks before we left for the trip. And uh, we were down again in the Copper Canyon in Mexico. This bright, happy little uh, tall, lanky British guy. I uh, started a conversation with him to find out he was plant-based. He was a big runner, and he was about to come to the States to check it out. He had never been before. And one of my friends that was down there with me was like, well, hey, he's about to run across the country. You want to join him? And he said yes. And literally, he <laughs> showed up 48 hours before we left for this journey and stayed with me the whole 75 days. So there was a lot right there and just a lot of uh, you know putting ourselves out there and hoping for the best. And luckily, it worked. And then from there, my crew chief was actually my – sister-in-law to be my fiance's sister, uh, Jackie. And she handled the nutrition and kind of keeping everything in line, making sure we were completely organized. And she was out there for the first two weeks and then came back and wrapped up the last three weeks with me. Uh, and her, her knowledge and what she brought to the table as far as nutrition was just so valuable. Uh, last year, she actually completed the Appalachian Trail on a plant-based diet. So she brought in a lot of what she learned from that and applied it to this this specific application. And then from there, I also had my in-laws-to-be. They were out with us a good bit. They spent, I believe, a, I think they were out there about 50 of the 75 days. So I'm super blessed for all of their support. My fiance Shelly came out as much as possible and other friends and family. My mom was out for a bit. So that was kind of how the crew all, and they all just kind of rotated in and out as they could, leaving Elliot as my, my, my person of permanence who kept everything kind of some continuity to everything. Uh, and then in a day to day basis, what we did is my crew was always supporting me. I'd wake up in the morning to a cup of coffee and some oatmeal. Um, it, it fluctuated. Uh, there were early on the trip, we were getting up really early, uh, about five, four thirty-five, And that being because, uh, the, as, as we made it across the country, I was, I was getting more sun later in the day so I could wake up later. But early on we had to start early cause we were losing daylight quite early. Um, does the daylight so, matter? I mean, can, yeah, I mean, just safety? for safety reasons mm -hmm. and psychologically, like when you've been out there for 12, you know, 12 hours and all of a sudden the sun goes down and it gets cold. It's just a, it's, it makes it a lot more daunting of a, of, of a process where if I can get it all in during daylight or start mm -hmm. the day in the dark, but end in daylight, it was much easier psychologically. Um, so yeah, getting started about five, between five and seven, uh, near the end of the trip. And again, they would get yeah, a coffee oatmeal, hit the ground, uh, hit, hit the road. And from there, five miles in, I would see my crew and thereafter every five miles. So essentially I ran across the country in five mile segments. <laughs> wow. Did, did you have a direct route that you knew going into it or was it, did you kind of make it up as you went along? No, we definitely defined the route beforehand. Uh, there was actually a, a race in 2011 that some Frenchmen put on there. I think there ended up being like five or six guys running. And there was we found their route online, and it really cut out a lot of legwork. We were able to take this route that was in a PDF and apply it onto Strava maps. Um, Strava, wow. And from there, I could constantly, if I needed to, as long as I had cell service, 
pull out my phone and see exactly where I was at on the route, what turns were coming. Cool. Uh, so yeah, that it, luckily for us, we sat down to kind of really go. It was like we had that initial sit down where we put together this initial plan. And again, that was back in March of 2018. And then around Christmas, once everything was solidified, all of my partners were in line, or my partner, Natami, was in line, and everything was a go. In December, we sat down and we're like, okay, now how exactly is this going to happen? I didn't know the route until, yeah early January completely. Um, and that was when we found that route online and were able to do that. So it just really helped in the, in, in the logistics because creating a route and knowing that you were going to be on roads that had a shoulder or yeah. were safe to run on was definitely something that I was very worried about. But finding this route, knowing that it had been used and no one had been hit by a car, uh, made me, made me somewhat confident. <laughs> in it. Cool. Was, yeah. All right. Oh, go ahead. Was the 75 days, was that uh, at the outset, like the, the goal or is that, that when the money runs out that it had to be done by then? Or was it just sort of, that's <laughs> kind of how long it took? No, that was a goal. I, I said, uh, before I set out my, I was going to run across the country in 75 days. Okay. And so that was a, that was a hard, that was a hard line for me as for me to feel as though I, I really accomplished the goal for which I set out for. So, so break those numbers down. What is, what does that look like? So 75 days, um, you know, I started in Huntington Beach, ended in New York City, 14 states, 40, average 43 miles a day. 43 miles a day. And what was, uh, I, you know, I, I did follow along on Instagram, which was great. I and mean, I loved doing that. I know you took a couple zero days. Uh, yeah. What was your longest day? My, okay, so kind of, kind of how it all played out was as we started, we had everything broken, broke, uh, broken up into segments, and the segments ranged anywhere from a 30-mile day up to around a 60-mile day, every day being different. And we did that for the first 19 days. And what I found in that time was it was, it was mentally really taxing because I can't, could not look too far ahead, more than a day or two ahead. I had to keep things day-to-day -day in order to be able to break this up into something that was actually achievable. And what would happen is, is I'd be in the middle of a 55 mile day and I'd ask one of my crew members, Hey, what's tomorrow look like? And just to see the look come over their face that they had to tell me, well, tomorrow's another 50 mile day was, <laughs> was really hard. So, um, what ended up happening, um, so backing up a little bit on day seven or eight, I, I, I got shin splints in my right leg. And if for anyone that's ever had on me, it is, it's really torturously painful. Um, and I was luckily with making some adjustments able to overcome that. We changed the shoes I was wearing. We changed actually the socks into ankle socks instead of uh, a crew sock and put on a compression sleeve on my shin. I was able to overcome that. So we, we were back. We we're back to a good place. I did that without really losing any of my mileage. I was doing my segments as I needed to. Well, day 18 hit, and I got tendinitis in my left ankle. Um, it was probably more painful than the shin splints on the right. Uh, day night, so I, I kind of dragged my leg into the finish that day, completing, I think, a 50-mile day. Day 19, I woke up, and the pain was really, really bad. I made it 15 miles that day, came into the 15-mile spot, like, like legitimately dragging my leg, and my crew insisted that I take a two-hour break. It was also coming at a time where it was compiled with extreme exhaustion. Um, everything really caught up to me on day 19. So they, they talked me into a two-hour nap. I got up. I wasn't able to walk. So we ended up taking the rest of the day off. And then on day 20, 
they 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 requested required that I sleep in, and when I woke up naturally, we would see where the day was at. So I slept in, got up around eight a.m., tried to step down, and my leg it, I just could not walk on it. So I ended up taking day twenty off, and rest just a lot of rest, a lot of elevation and ice all day long, and then day twenty one hit the road to find that it was still in a lot of pain, but with an ACE bandage wrapped around it, I lowered the mobility and was able to walk. So on day 21, I walked out 40 miles. Day 22, I walk ran 40 miles. And from that day forward, we looked at the schedule and I, it looked as though I needed to do 45 miles a day to accomplish this in my 75 day allotment. So from there we said, okay, this is it. We're no longer going to fluctuate in mileage. Every day will be 45 miles. So day 23 until 75, till day 72, it was all 45 mile days. And then we started to taper off and I did less and less in the last couple of days because I had a little bit of a cushion. So the highest mileage day I did was 55, I believe. And then I actually did a 30 mile day on day like 15. And then it was all 45s on out. And so did the injury stuff mostly, did that, those problems mostly stop after that first half was finished or first third? Yeah, yeah. Um, going into this, I, I was able to talk to a couple people who had done this in the past. And the rules of thumb that I was given were if I could make it through two weeks without a show-stopping injury, my body would most likely hold up. And the second being after a month, it would get a little bit easier. And both of those things rang true. I made it through two weeks. I had some complications, but I was able to overcome them. And after that, you know, there was always a concern, was something going to flare up? And luckily nothing really did. And then literally at day 28, it got a lot easier. Not a lot, because it never got easy. (laughs) It got a little bit easier. Uh, It became a little more sustainable. And from there on out, there were no major setbacks as far as injuries. And in fact, and I really, really do give credit to the plant-based diet for this, I proceeded to get stronger. Um, Until I hit the Appalachians, so for up until day, I mean, these are approximations, but I wanted to say day like 62 or so, I was progressively getting faster because I was doing 45 miles a day at that point. And with every day, I was doing it a little bit quicker, a little bit quicker, a little bit quicker. And uh, at, points, at points was just messing with, I would have friends, crew members run with me throughout the day, some of my miles. And Elliot, the, the guy that was with me the whole time, it was to the point in those last in day like 60 or so on a little bit of a downhill grade, I would just start messing with them and I would drop down to like a six, six thirty pace, uh, which was nowhere close to what I should have been doing. It was kind of, <laughs> it was reckless for me to do it, but it was, it was interesting. It was fun that I had that energy. We weren't expecting that. I was expecting to finish this run and just crawl through the finish line. Whereas I actually was getting stronger. My body was getting stronger. My fitness was getting better. And I do, again, I do think a lot of that with the plant-based diet and that it throughout this run, instead of breaking my body down with the foods I was putting in, I was actually nourishing it. Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at. I mean, you can imagine that in the beginning, I mean, I saw that you had trained, you started doing some 100-mile weeks, uh, and that was kind of the peak of your training, 100, 110 miles a week. So, like, in the beginning, your body's not, I mean, you've prepared as well as you can, but it's not accustomed to running that many miles in a day. Uh, so so it makes sense that that's when those injuries and things would sort of flare up. But if, you're, if you can recover in time, then... Uh, I guess eventually you're, they're kind of becoming workouts that are actually strengthening you for the second half, as long as you're able to recover. So it's kind of a good test, I think, of of a diet and a recovery routine in general um, to to see if it could be something where you're getting stronger rather than this thing where just like every run is a little bit harder than the previous and then 
you know, the wheels were falling off by the very end. So that's cool. Um, how about food specifically? Just, I mean, you know, we've, we have a vegan audience and uh, I think that's of particular interest to people. Uh, everyone is always wondering about, you know, we, we get the question all the time of what do you eat during an ultra marathon or a marathon or just a long run? Um, it seems people just are interested in, in <laughs> idiosyncrasies and the specifics. So what, like what specifically were you eating? You know, what, like what were your everyday foods that you absolutely, you know, just stuck to as your running fuel that, uh, you know, you feel like you couldn't have done it without. Totally. Um, it, it, I mean, it was very regimented. Uh, I was consuming 8,000 calories a day. So needing that much just to, to have the energy to accomplish the goal and also not to wither away. Um, 8,000 calories, it's a, lot of, it's a lot to consume. Luckily, it being plant-based, it was easy on my system. Uh, you know, not as, not as laborious to digest, which takes energy. That was one thing I learned out there is you have a fixed amount of energy to use and you get to choose how to use it. And, you know, in that it's plant-based foods, a lot of it was smoothies it was very easy for my body to digest. So the way a day broke down food-wise was, again, I'd have that coffee and porridge in the morning. We called it porridge because my buddy was, Elliot was from the UK. One time he said oatmeal. I was like, do not break character again. It is porridge. <laughs> 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 um, so the, the, the porridge, the oatmeal, was uh, oatmeal with uh, maple syrup, chia seeds, bananas, and powdered peanut butter. Uh, really a big hearty bowl of that to start the morning. I would start running. And then from there, at my first five-mile stop, I would have one of four smoothies a day. My smoothies had 1,000 calories in them each. And they consisted of coconut milk, bananas, chia seeds, vegetables, carrots, kale, any other thing we might have lying around, and powdered peanut butter again. And also Soylent, which is a meal replacer that um, I think was developed by some software guy or some programmers so they didn't have to get up from programming. And it's this all-in-one shake that you can drink that gives you apparently everything you need. I don't know if I'd go that far. It was really good for this application. It really helped to up up my calories for the day. So mile, uh, again, at mile five, I would have one of those. I'd, hit the, I'd, I'd start running again. At mile 10, I would have a big bowl of fruit. Mile 15, another smoothie. Mile 20, starchy stuff, whether and kind of carby, carb heavy stuff, whether it be cold pasta. We did tofu and hummus and cilantro wraps. Um, I had tofu and hummus and rice every way possible until I said I couldn't have it anymore. Um, <laughs> and then again, another smoothie. And then we'd have another bowl of fruit, another smoothie, and then just kind of keep that going throughout the day. And Throughout the day, supplementing this, when I was out on the road, if I was out for longer than an hour, I would try to eat. So every five-mile segment, at the best, I could do in about 55 minutes. And depending on grade and my level of fatigue, sometimes it could take upwards of two hours, just really depending on the day. There were times also where the blisters on my feet were really bad, so it would slow me down. So in those instances, while I was out there, if I found that I was going to be much longer than an hour in my five-mile segment, I would have something else to kind of supplement. I wanted to keep keep calories in, keep the energy up. So with that, it would either be Bobo's bars, which are uh, made out of uh, Boulder here. They're, they're really nice um, uh, sports bar kind of, I guess it's a sports bar, but the great thing about them is they're not extremely dense. And I thought that that was really important again, because of the digestive process, the less you have to energy, you have to use to digest the, the more energy you have to give to your legs um, and then that or either spring energy, which is a gel. It's not as refined sugars. It's almost like a smoothie in a gel pack. And I would use those to keep the sugar, the sugar levels up. 
throughout the day. And then ending the day, I would have a double portion of this free camp, camp meals called outdoor herbivore. I would have a double portion of that cooked down with coconut milk and then top it off with a scoop of Nadamu ice cream and one beer. Sometimes two beers, never more than two beers. Um, and that was kind of how I, I, I did my meals throughout the day. And that would get me my, my 8,000 calories. Um, yeah, that, that was the food. And so really what we were trying to accomplish out there, it's a little bit different than if somebody was to ask my advice for a single day push of like a 50-mile race or a 100-miler. It would be a little sure. bit different. But, but I needed to find a way. I needed to keep those calories up so that I didn't wither away. So that was why we were hitting the 8,000 calories a day. And it was a high-fat, fat, high-carbohydrate mindset. Yeah. I mean that's that I love the how regimented it is regimented it is and uh I mean that it sounds really like you really calculated it out perfectly and and that's that's great. I got to I got to know though have you had a smoothie since you finished? Oh man. I have. That's the crazy thing. As I was finishing up everyone was asking uh they would come out and run with me and such. They were asking, "So what do you what meal are you looking forward to when you get done?" I was like, "I don't want to eat. I am tired of eating." Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when we finished, I was in New York City, and the vegan plant-based options are out of this world. So that quickly <laughs> dissolved, and I was just eating everything I could. Um, and yeah, definitely, I have actually been having the smoothies. It's just a really easy way if, you know, being really active, I'm already back to running a good bit. And um, it's just an easy way for me to make sure I keep my calories where I need to. And I enjoy them. It is the one thing I didn't really get tired of was the smoothies. I got much more tired of of the, 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 the carby stuff, the real, like just the pasta all the time. It just, mm-hmm. that was a little more, that, that was hard for my crew to find things that I would continue to eat. Uh, I never really complained about the smoothies. I didn't complain about the fruit, but the, I mean, we were doing like vegan cheese quesadillas, uh, cold pasta, boiled potatoes with salt, mashed potato, anything they could to get me to consume the carbs. That, that was the difficult part for me. Yeah. I remember seeing something, uh, you posted, somewhere probably on instagram uh that part of the, your crew's daily routine was to try to find a an outlet for you to run your blender i thought that was, I thought that was funny <laughs> that was yeah we used a vitamix to make the smoothies and you know going into this so the kind of the mechanism for how we got across the country was is i had a camper it was being pulled by a van i had a bed in the van that i slept in and the crew slept in the camper and prepared my, prepared my meals out of there so going into that, you need like a generator or if we wouldn't, if we would not have been running, you know, moving so much, we could have had solar panels. But unfortunately, with the way we were constantly in movement, we had to have a, a generator for the energy for the camper. So I assumed that that would run the Vitamix, but a 2000 watt generator will not run a Vitamix. Those things have a <laughs> lot of power behind them. I had no idea. So yes, for a long time out there, my crew was, was, uh, it's always in search of, of a, of a, of an outlet. And I can, you just kind of have to get this, this visual of like being in rural, rural, rural America in a Walmart parking lot, a six, three lanky British guy walking through the parking lot with a Vitamix and a bunch of vegetables in a push cart going up to the Walmart and asking, Hey, can I, can I use your outlet? It <laughs> was blowing people's minds left and right. <laughs> but then one of my friends who's also an ultra runner here in Denver and also a chef, he came out and we were telling him about this problem and he just, he, he, he fixed it right away. He goes buy shredded carrots hmm. and, and what, and that lowered the amount of torque needed for the Vitamix. Huh. So then it would work on the 2000 watt uh, generator. I like shredded carrots instead of uh, chop. 
my salads because it's less torque for my for my teeth for my jaws. More to more less. <laughs> Could I told you that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, did you pretty much stay like? I mean, what did you have rules in place for yourself or that anyone else imposed that said like you need to stay right on the route and you can't drive anywhere in your van to go sleep or find a better spot or or like did you just kind of make a mark where you left and I mean not make a mark but note where you left and then and then return the next morning or or, or was it more like you stayed right there and just slept and then got up because you mentioned you mentioned what you ate was always the same dinner after you were done and I I had assumed that on something like this you would you'd kind of I guess you're tired but you that you'd sort of check out the different towns and things and go try to find some food or something in those places. Yeah, no. So as far as where we would stay, uh, if we could stay right where I finished, we would. Um, but out of necessity, many times we were not able to. I had a GPS tracker on me as well as my Strava data coming off of my, 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 my running watch, my Garmin. And we would place a pin on a map and cross-reference that with all our other data for where I would stop and start the next morning, just making sure I'd start at the exact same place. But at times, we would ha- they would have to shuffle me down the road, I think upwards of 10 miles sometimes. Sometimes we would literally get to stop right where, we've, where, where I left off or where I finished. Um, and the way we would accomplish this too is we did have a pilot car as well for the majority of the trip. There were a couple days where we didn't have one, but we would have another smaller vehicle, uh, a Prius predominantly that was with us. So what would happen is in those last two stops, a lot of times the camper and van wouldn't be there. It would go ahead and go forward to wherever we were going to stay and they would start preparing my dinner for the night. Um, we did try a couple times to go out to dinner. We tried in Flagstaff. So that was about day 11 or 12. And I couldn't handle it. Um, my world became so linear and so predictable in a way. And I, I couldn't handle sitting and waiting on food. I, I, it felt like it was time I could have been recovering. I could have been sleeping. I could have had my legs up. So from then on, the few times that we had food from, from restaurants and such, it, they would bring it to me into the camper. Hmm. Yeah. That was, yeah. So- what, was finding a place to sleep ever a, a problem? I mean, you know, like, because I know you can't just park anywhere and it, 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 it got a little harder the further east we went. And I think that's just, you know, density of population. We definitely had kind of a free pass in a way. I think most people traveling around the country in an RV had because of the novelty of what I was doing. Yeah. A lot of places and people were a lot more accommodating than maybe they would if somebody was just on a road trip in their RV. So right. there, there were times, I mean, we stayed everywhere from KOA campgrounds where we had hookups for the camper to literally on the side of the road, uh, gas station parking lots. Walmarts will allow you uh, most of the time to park in their parking lots with RVs, things such as that. It was, it was all over the place, but people were very accommodating and it did just get more difficult just the further east. Again, just, I think, just density of population. Well, Was there... Uh... I mean, you know, it, Doug and I have done some hundred milers. Doug has done multiple. I've done only one. Um, but that, that low point happens in that mile. For, I mean, it seems like very commonly. And it was probably my lowest point as well. I wouldn't say it was a low, low point. But that mile 70 area where you're kind of like, you know, 70% done. And it just feels like there's so much left still. Uh, yeah. But you're so tired. And and I would say a 50 miler is kind of the same percentage point where you kind of start to question whether this is worth it and whether you ever, ever want to run again. Uh, what like did you have that sort of 70 percent kind of low point where it's like man what am i doing that this is just too much left to finish or was it was it 
different from a from a one day kind of race because of that. Or was there was there any something else like where a point where just it seemed like it was the closest that it got to you saying this just isn't worth it or I just can't do this. Yeah, um, it was definitely is very similar. The arc the arc of just tr- of discouragement was was very very similar. There was some interesting things like let's just use like a real obvious one like when I hit the halfway mark day thirty seven and a half or whatever um friends and family and other people supporting me online were all you know i would announce that i'm halfway done and everyone was so you know congratulating me and being like oh my god you're halfway done but for me there was just this thing of like yeah but i'm only halfway done (laughs) i've still got 37 days of this um so that definitely was a thing i mean it was daunting up until the last day to be honest like i thought i would get to a point 10 days out 15 days out somewhere in there where i'd be like oh cool i'm almost there but it was still just so much i mean like day 10 i think or so uh a friend was running with me and she you know she was like you're almost there and i was like do you realize that i still have 153 hours of running you know not that i was counting Uh, i counted every way possible i divided the numbers i added i split i did everything i had analyzed it in every way possible and it didn't it didn't let up it was just even with a week left you're like i still have to run straight for a week i mean you know people that endurance sports you know we we hear of stage races and it's like people go and do uh like fiona oaks uh, is going to do the Gobi Desert race in a couple of weeks. And that's a six-day stage race. And that's daunting. I mean, people tell you they're doing a six-day stage race. You're like, wow, that's a lot. So when I was eight days out, I was like, I still have like more to go than <laughs> a right. something that's huge. Right. Mm. <laughs> so that definitely was it, – it always played in. It was very similar. There were definitely some lows. As far as I'm going to – I, I got to quit. I can't do this. Those moments – I think I said I was going to quit three times, and I know that every single one of them, I knew I wasn't going to quit. I think I was really just searching for sympathy and empathy from my from my crew. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it definitely the, the 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 scope of it and how large it was was very daunting. Seventy five days is a long time. I learned that while I was out there. You know, it, like I said at the beginning of this conversation, that I just surpassed a month since I finished, and it is amazing how different time passes when you're in the middle of such a thing like here in everyday life there's whole days of my life that go by and i'm like i don't know what i did today whereas out there i knew every second what i was doing i knew every second i was pushing forward it was one foot in front of the other but there was something beautiful about that you know i don't want it to sound like it was like uh so just like monotonous and negative every day i got to achieve something great and that's something that's hard to come back from. Now, in my mundane days, I'm not accomplishing something great every day. And that's a real weird transition. Yeah. I have, I have a question about that. But before I, I, I do that, um, would um, – oh, shoot. I lost my new question. <laughs> <laughs> right. I got a question. All right. Hit it. In, I mean, I think it sounds you, – you acted like that was uh, – it sounded like you were saying this was some horrible chore that you had to, you know, be – mindful for lack of a better word mindful every single second and just kind of focusing on the whole thing but i mean i think that's kind of what people are seeking in in activities that they're really passionate right you like to do something that requires you just kind of have your full attention there um i guess running is an interesting one because i think some people run to to not have to pay attention they just sort of zone out uh but like did you feel like that was a big thing that came of this like did you i mean this is kind of a, a 
this would be a better last question of the interview, but like, did you learn anything or have really deep insights or just walk away with this, like, you know, wisdom that kind of comes from being focused on something so, uh, you know, seriously for so long or learn about yourself? I mean, anything like that come out of it? Was it, was it meditative in some way? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, you know, there was definitely a lot. I think one thing that resonated with, well, a couple of things, but first being that we spend entirely too much time on our phones, um, not having that ability and being present, even if it was present and putting one foot in front of the other is extremely valuable. And it also opened up for me is to be much more open to engaging with strangers. I think that was a really important lesson was that as I went across the country, um, there were a lot of people with whom maybe I would have been more reluctant to talk to. You know, we put in a lot of labels on people in society now, and it's easy to kind of just stay out of, stay out of interacting with those who you find to be on the other side or different from you. And I was forced into those one because I was going through the middle of the country and um, not having, not interpreting how I felt about people off of updates I get on my phone from news flashes was really valuable and that I was engaging with others and found that people were inherently good. And that was something that was really important. Um, and you had to stay out of my phone. I have a lot more confidence in myself as an individual and much less social anxiety. Um, but those, those were some of the big things was just the lack of devices and the lack of getting caught up in this like overstimulating craze that we're in the midst of now. Do you think you you have some clarity just because you spent so much time in your own head? You like just quiet? Yes, I think clarity is like uh, from a more metaphysical, like soul searching spot. Um, the thing that's a little challenging now is understanding what to do next, where to go from here. And I, I really hoped out there, I thought that with having so much time those things would become clear, but you're kind of, you're, I was so isolated from the rest of the world that it wasn't, I wasn't like I was being able to follow leads and engage with others about, Hey, where, where can I take this? How can I use this platform that I'm creating by doing this? And like, what's the most constructive way to move forward? And that's kind of what I'm now searching for, but definitely more interpersonal, uh, inner strength, confidence in myself to persevere, uh, is a big thing. You know, when I finished up, I stayed in New York City for 10 days. I was uh, holding out for the plant-based expo, uh, which I spoke at. And uh, my fiance, Shelly, had to come back to Denver. And she called me one day and she was like, you know, I'm really proud of you because you're getting out there and you're doing stuff and you're talking to people. And I know that could be really hard right now. And, you know, I just kind of laughed. And I was like, well, I mean, nothing's that hard in comparison. Like, <laughs> like it's just like I have perseverance in spades at this point. Um so yeah, I think a lot of interpersonal growth, a lot of a big confidence boost in myself as an individual. Um, and then in the other side of it, I'm completely lost now because I, I focused so hard on this for so long. And now it's like, well, what, what do you do now? Like there, there was an abrupt stop. I finished in Central Park. And when I finished, that was it. Everything I'd worked for for 15 months was done. I know so, what you do. Yeah. The 3100, the, uh, the race in New York. The transcendence. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard of that one? Don't Oh yeah, don't tempt me. I actually last <laughs> night, I last night I said to Shelly, my fiance, I was like, maybe I'll do thirty one hundred next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so, it's yeah. going on right now, I think. Yeah, it started uh yeah, about two weeks ago, I think. Um uh, yeah, I mean I just I can't even imagine like even 
even something like a hundred miler for me, um, you know, after all the training and then just the energy that goes into it come race day and then the, the race itself. Um, and you, and when you're done and you're like, you know, that's kind of behind you and you look out and see the world as, as, you know, as most people see it and you, and you're like, well, wait a minute, like all these things have been happening and it's, and you know, where, where have I been? Or like, how, how do we all connect again? Um, and, and that's after just like a short, like, you know, one or two day race. I can't even imagine what, like, uh, what this feels like for you after 15 months and 75 days of running. It's probably pretty bizarre. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a strange world to, to start to navigate and figure out. And even like right when I finished, like even like literally to navigate, like, uh, the, <laughs> the weirdest things that were really hard for me was, uh, like interacting with technology getting on the metro like getting a metro card at the subway (laughs) easiest interface so simple it's made so that anyone can navigate that interface i had the hardest time putting money on my metro card (laughs) it was the weirdest thing so yeah there's you know it's there's layers and layers of like processing it now that i'm done trying to figure out what's next trying to get back to being able to communicate and engage with people without being on the run that was a big thing. Uh, you know, as runners, we all know, like right brain, left brain start to connect. Thoughts are much easier. And, you know, if you've ever ran with people, it's like good conversations come out of running. And I was in this situation where outside of my really close friends and family who were my crew, anyone I interacted with along the way, it was either done on the run because they were running with me or at the five mile stops, I would stop and there'd be people there that we'd be talking to and talking about the mission and giving them some not ice cream. And, uh, at, that, at those moments, I was just coming off of the run. So I had that left brain, right brain still connected. I was able to just articulate my thoughts and talk really well. And then I get done and all of a sudden I'm, I'm sedentary, sedentary and I'm not doing those things and my brain's not connecting anymore. And it really, you know, especially right when I finished, it was really hard to keep up with conversation. It was hard mm-hmm. to not be anxious. And, and luckily, being thrusted into being in New York City for 10 days really helped me to get past that. I think it was a blessing in disguise. Had I come back to Denver, I could have easily just hidden my at my house here and went solo runs by myself and would have probably had a much harder time re-engaging with the world. Hmm. Is that what you would have done if you were in Denver, just go for some runs? I mean, did, have you run been running since then? I'm running Leadville 50 this coming weekend. Oh, okay. I'm already back at it. I, I ran a couple times in New York. I ran on... With John Joseph, uh, who you know, might be familiar with, um, and a group of people, we did a run on uh, Global Running Day uh, in Manhattan out of the Stance Socks store, and then ran a couple other times by myself. And then when I got back to Denver, I, yeah, I've been running. It's it's really it's I mean it's interesting. Like I have a base. I have this like amazing amount of of strength right now, and I don't I want to capitalize on it. So it's really. <laughs> It's a fine line between, you know, recovery and making sure my body is healthy and also wanting to get back at it. So, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I was going to tell you to don't stress about it and sort of just, you know, don't worry about what comes next and just let the, let it pass and enjoy life. But now that you just mentioned that fitness that you're in right now, I don't, I'm, I'm taking that back. I want you, you got to do what you to do and not lose it. You can't lose that base. <laughs> good well uh robbie i hope you hope you do solve that problem and find something to do next because i'm sure uh i'm sure everybody listening here would be really interested in following along with whatever it is um thank you for joining us is there anything and do you have a is there like a platform now where, where people can go and kind of follow along and figure out what you are doing next 
Yeah, I mean, the two main places that I communicate through um, are my Instagram account, which is my name. It's Robbie Ballinger, R-O-B-B-I-E-B-A-L-E-N-G-E-R. And I, I update on there. I'm getting back at it. Uh, I had a little bit of social media fatigue after, you know, we were posting on there every day. Um, but getting back at that. And then also I have a website with my partners, Natamoo, and it's called the plant powered or plantpoweredmission.com. On there, we're blogging about the experience. I'll be following up with some more blog posts soon. And between those two spots, we'll also start to talk about what we're going to do next. I definitely want to continue plant-based advocacy through endurance. And I'm going to continue that with Natamu. And we'll start talking about what races we're going to show up at to support other athletes and what other big feats I might be setting out on in the next year or so. And maybe some other athletes as well. Cool. Very cool. So, uh, yeah, everyone check that out. And, uh, Robbie, we appreciate you coming on here, sharing all this stuff with it, with us. Uh, more than that though, I think everyone probably appreciates what, uh, what you did for the movement in the process of doing this and what I'm sure you've, uh, you've got planned next. So thank you so much and, uh, hope to talk to you again soon. Ah, thanks for having me y'all. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. All right. See you later.